Welcome to A Word Fitly Spoken, a podcast about Jesus, His Word, and our joy in following Him. I'm Michelle Leslie. And I'm Amy Spreeman. Happy New Year, Michelle. Happy New Year, Amy, and Happy New Year to all of our listeners. We hope you had a wonderful, worshipful Christmas and that you're jumping into the new year ready to grow and mature in your relationship with Christ. Yes, and we'd like to help you get the ball rolling with holy habits for the new year. You know, lots of people make New Year's resolutions that tend to fizzle out within a few weeks or months. I know I have, but instead, we want to introduce you to some holy habits that you can integrate into your walk with the Lord. That's right. When we hear phrases like holy habits, what typically comes to mind is things like daily personal Bible study, prayer, and and being a faithful church member. But there's a lot more to holiness than just those three forms of worship. We're to be holy in every little nook and cranny of our lives. Exactly. There are many aspects of our walk with the Lord in which we need to grow in holiness. And that's where Holy Habits for the New Year comes in. We started this three-episode mini-series of interviews last year with Susan Heck on scripture memory, Rich Story on personal evangelism, and Regan Rose on productivity. And we will link those up in the show notes because you're going to want to hear those uh, if you've missed those. And in this year's series, we're going to welcome three more special guests who will help us learn about growing in holiness in some other areas of our lives. Right, Amy. Last year's holy habits were more about private sanctification in our own one-on-one relationship with Christ. This year's habits are really more outwardly focused on ministering to others. I guess you could say that last year was more about being, and this year is more about doing. And one of the holy habits that we want to encourage you to consider doing this year is biblical counseling. And that's what our first guest is here to talk to us about tonight. Some of you may remember Travis McNeely from our first interview with him a couple of years ago on the topic of Mormonism. He's currently working on his PhD in applied theology with a concentration in biblical counseling. And don't hold this against him, but he's also one of my pastors and we just love him to death at my church. So Travis, for our listeners who may not be familiar with you, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm so glad to be on the podcast. Amy, Michelle, thank you for having me on. And it's it's good to be on here with you guys and really appreciate all you guys do on, on your blog and on your uh, podcast. It's great. So um, yeah, so a little bit about myself. Oh, I've been blessed to be married to my lovely wife, Jillian, for 10 years now. And uh, we have four children, three boys, and one sweet little spoiled princess, baby girl, and uh, just love her to death. And Julie and I were originally from Florida. We met in college, and we both graduated from Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. And while I was there, uh, Lewis Richardson, the uh, lead pastor of Woodlawn, sent me a text message about six and a half years ago now and uh, said, hey, are you interested in a student pastor position in Baton Rouge? And I said, yes. And uh, the ball got rolling. And I eventually found myself here. You know, the rest is history. So I'm now starting my seventh year now here because November was six years for me. And uh, it's been a great time of ministry here. And over time, you know, just personally, I've just developed so much more as a man and as a pastor, uh, being under such godly men here and uh, many godly men within the church who have just shaped me to follow Christ even better and lead people to follow Christ better. And really just being a part of Woodlawn has really shaped me to be word-driven in everything I think and do. And that's really what kind of renewed my passion in a lot of ways for biblical counseling. I never took a biblical counseling class in seminary, uh, although they were offered. I just, I went for other degrees, but I, looking back, I was like, man, I wish I would have done that. Um, and because I got into church life and saw 
wow, um, I need to shepherd people. I need to care for their souls. And I knew that, I, yeah, I could preach or I could, you know, teach or disciple those kind of things. But I, I really need to learn when the going gets rough, how do I help people in the midst of their problems, the various problems that life uh, faces, you know, so. Oh, I'm so glad you're here. This is such a great topic uh, to talk about, Travis. It's really biblical counseling is an idea that's kind of new to a lot of Christians, I bet. Could you explain to our listeners what biblical counseling is and how it might be different from Christian counseling and secular psychology or uh, what we might know as therapy? Yeah, absolutely. And that's a great question. You know, when I think about it, um, you know, we use that term biblical counseling and, you know, big red alarm lights might come on like counseling. Oh, man, like that sounds real serious. And you got to lay on a couch while some guy asks you all these deep, dark, secret questions. And it's really awkward, you know, Um, or you might have like Freud in mind when you're thinking counseling. But, you know, the word counseling is in the scriptures. I mean, right. It's, you know, we just had our Christmas time here. And what did what did we say about God from Isaiah? He's the wonderful counselor, you know. And so I think that uh, that term has kind of been co-opted and maybe overused in the secular realm where Christians have forgotten. Hey, biblical counseling is actually it's a counseling is a Christian thing. Uh, It originates with God and who he is. And so what is biblical counseling? In short, one word, discipleship. That's all it is. Is discipleship. Now, let's flesh that out a little bit because we call a lot of things discipleship sometimes. And so, you know, I'm going to rely a little bit on this book here that I want to recommend to your listeners. It's called The Church as a Culture of Care by Dale Johnson. He's the executive director of ACBC. And he gives this excellent definition of biblical counseling. I want to read to you that he put together with uh, a, a coworker of his, Dr. Sam Stevens. Listen to this definition. He says, biblical counseling is the personal discipleship ministry of God's people to others under the oversight of God's church, dependent upon the authority and sufficiency of God's work or God's word through the work of the Holy Spirit. Biblical counseling seeks to reorient disordered desires, affections, thoughts, behaviors, and worship toward a God-designed anthropology in an effort to restore people to a right fellowship with God and others. And this is accomplished by speaking the truth in love and applying scripture to the need of the moment by comforting the suffering and calling sinners to repentance, thus working to make them mature as they abide in Jesus Christ. Now, that's a big definition because you see how comprehensive it is. Yeah. So in relation to that definition, now kind of going to the other part of your question, thinking about how is that different from Christian counseling and secular psychology or therapy? You know, when you hear biblical counseling and Christian counseling, you're like, well, hey, what's the difference? You know, uh, but, you know, the, the reason why that title came up for um, biblical counseling was because people were be- becoming confused. They would go and see a, you know, air quotes here, Christian counselor, and they're hearing Freudian psychology or some other um, psychology. And they're like, hey, I thought this was biblical counseling. Are you going to, or, you know, Christian counseling, I, aren't you going to open your Bible? And, you know, they wouldn't do that. They wouldn't have that approach. And so the title biblical counseling really came about for clarity's sake, but a a Christian counselor is going to be someone who believes in integration of the best of secular psychology, what they might say is available through common grace, uh, but also um, the Bible. And so that's how they're going to really bring those things together, which we would just argue that's, that's an unbiblical approach. You're not taking the sufficiency of scripture seriously in that regard. Uh, but then secular psychology or therapy, well, there are many different models uh, for counseling. I mean, we could go through the names of so many counselors now. One of them I've already said is Freud. We got B.F. Skinner and then, uh, you know, Abraham Maslow, all these different guys. But then 
um, more modern people as well. Uh, but another thing that's really important to think about uh, with these different counseling models is there's solutions, there's worldview behind all of it. None of it's neutral. You know, some of them had the assumption that we're just matter, we're just materials, we're not you know, spiritual beings, but we're just matter. And so these secular psychology and therapies are just going to deal with what's on the outside. Not what's going on in the heart, not what's going on in the soul, which obviously sets it apart from, you know, biblical soul care or counseling. Yeah. And I think that's really important to, to recognize is that it, it is two different models. Um, my um, background is my undergraduate degree is in psychology and I did my master's work in marriage and family counseling. And the most important thing that I learned in, in all of my schooling is that the vast majority of things that people go to therapy or counseling or whatever for are spiritual issues uh, because God has, because of the way that God has designed us. And um, so, yeah, I think I think it's really important to recognize that these are two different models and that biblical counseling really offers a lot to the church, a good perspective to come at the various issues of life from. So what would you say are some of the um, some of the benefits to the local church of having certified biblical counselors in your congregation and available to church members? And then also, how can biblical counseling serve as an outreach of the local church to the community? Those are some excellent questions. And as a pastor, I definitely really appreciate it because, look, as a, a pastor's job is really difficult. You know, we have a lot on our shoulders uh, in one, preparing to preach God's word every week and making sure we're doing a great job handling the text. But then we're going to give an account for how we cared for God's flock that he purchased with his own blood. And so it's a really weighty task to care for God's people, which is why part of our job as pastors, according to Ephesians chapter four, is verse 12 is to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. And so as it relates to the benefits of having certified biblical counselors in our church, the more the merrier, you know, the more to help us in that process of discipleship, of helping people work through problems. It allows us to not only help those certified counselors become better counselors, we can really in some way shepherd them as they shepherd others, uh, but it allows for our outreach to be even greater in our community. And so, yes, if you are a biblical counselor and, um, Maybe you're not active in your church in that way. Get active. You know, most of them would be just because the training encourages it so much. But uh, it's it's so vital to the life of a church. And for anyone who's willing, I, I almost am like, hey, you're my best friend. Come on, let's let's get it going. You know, I want I would love to have you here and serving in that way. But as it relates to outreach, it can be extremely effective, uh, really, because people are always having problems. I mean, every day everyone's having problems. And if you offer that to say, hey, we we have a solution here. We have we offer counseling. Now they might think something else different when they're coming, but you tell them that up front. You know, you're you're upfront with them about it, saying, hey, this is biblical counseling. We often have like a process for people when they come, uh, where we we tell them, you know, this is what we're doing. This is what it's all about. So you know up front. You know, we're not you know trying to cloak and dagger get you here. You know, this is what we believe, and they, they'll sign that paper. Okay, I read it, and uh, they come in and they get that counseling. But as it relates to that outreach opportunity, a lot of counseling costs money. You know, and insurance companies will cover these counseling things, and we tell them at least at Woodlawn how we practice it, and many other places do too, that it's free of charge because it's a ministry of the church, and that really stuns people sometimes. I'm like, well, if you want to donate, you can donate some money, but I'm not going to charge you for a session. Uh, and not only that, 
it's it's an amazing engagement for lost people. When they begin to hear about it, they'll and maybe uh, a church member, let's just say you're at work, okay? And um, this has happened uh, many times where a church member at work is talking to a friend and they're having marriage issues. They'll say, hey, you know, our church has a counseling ministry. Why don't you go check it out? And next thing you know, I get an email and I send them the work and we get started. And it's become an amazing tool to share the gospel with people. So it's not just reaching uh, other Christians in our community and helping them grow, but the lost. And I've had people completely reject me in the gospel. Uh, we're really rejecting the gospel as I'm trying to counsel them through their issues. And they're like, well, I want you to deal with my issues. I'm like, well, let me show you how your issue it, which is the fruit of something, is related to what's actually going on in your heart. Because Jesus says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And, you know, I share the gospel and talk about their heart and their need for salvation. And it's a really beautiful thing uh, to see their response in that way. And sometimes it's a sad thing to see their response as well. But to know that, hey, we're being faithful to reach out to our community in that way. That is incredible. So uh, you know, you often don't think about people who are unsaved going to a so-called church counselor. <laughs> so, uh, you know, because what if they reject the gospel? W- would they still benefit from this? And and I, I can't think of a better benefit than to hear the gospel and to hear the real spiritual root of their problem. So, so this is really incredible. Um, I, I do want to touch on uh, the biblical role of women in the church, because I, I know Michelle and I have talked a lot about what is the appropriate role for women in this kind of uh, serving in this kind of ministry. Are there special guidelines for women who are biblical counselors? For example, uh, would it be okay for a woman then to counsel a man? Um, maybe not one-on-one, maybe, but, uh, but what are the theological lines that we wouldn't want to cross if we were to become uh, biblical counselors? Yeah, that, that's an excellent question. And and look, we have some certified biblical counselors in our church, and one of them is is a lady, and we greatly appreciate her and her ministry. She does an incredible job with people. And uh, we have others who are other women who are in the certification process, and I'm encouraging them to do so. Because often what has happened initially when we were first starting this was, you know, it was just us pastors and our wives. And yes, we would uh, encourage the women to go to our wives. But sometimes if, you know, they're they're too busy, it's the middle of the day and, you know, they're able to come by the office. And, you know, we have our secretaries and other people here. So it's not just one on one, but we'll have a few maybe one on one sessions with them and try to encourage them. But man, it's always helpful to say, oh, hey, let me hand you off to this lady. Okay, we've had a couple sessions. I'd be able to hear what's going on, and I know someone who can help you in our church. And we'll try to quickly hand them off best we can, so that you know a lady, you know, kind of practicing Titus too, is ministering to another young lady. But as it relates to your question about men, you know, Scripture is really clear. You know, a woman is not to teach or exercise authority over a man. And I think that's even happening in that one-on-one context. It's not to say that I can't get great advice or counsel from a godly woman. Uh, that's that's not to say that at all. I think that's uh, completely fine in some context. But as it relates to this intentional discipleship, it's really what it is. You're instructing and teaching. I just don't think it's best one-on-one in that sense. And, and, and vice versa as well, men to women. You, Like I said, you want to hand them off best you can to another lady. But really, when it comes down to it, um, I think the, the parameters where you can see that it's fine might be, okay, if my, my wife and I are sitting down with another couple. Uh, another, you know, man and lady, and we're talking about the dynamics of marriage and the 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 joys and the difficulties of marriage, and we're all hearing each other out. But my wife and I are kind of leading and guiding the discussion, and you know, the guy makes a comment, I say something about what he says, and then my wife chimes in to kind of chime in off what I said. That's fine. That kind of stuff's fine. You know, it's I think it's biblical in a way, kind of looking at like 
um, Apollos being ministered to by Aquila and Priscilla. We don't have the manuscript of their conversation, but we get the idea of kind of what was going on there. So I would say, yeah, I think it's important to make sure those gender gender roles are being encouraged in their proper ways, but also being guarded according to the word as well. Yeah, that's so important. I mean, we we always want to be sure that when we're setting out to do something biblical, that we do it in a biblical way and make sure that we're not sinning along the way or whatever. So that's that's great advice for for women who are thinking about possibly becoming biblical counselors. Um, how about this? Why should Christians or Christian women or Christian men consider becoming biblical counselors? Well, I would say this. Um, every Christian is a counselor, number one. I think that's really clear just from the text of scripture. Um, we're, we're called to make disciples who make disciples, 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, uh, the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Uh, so whether you choose to go to the path of getting certified through an organization or not, you're still a counselor. You still give advice. Everyone gives advice. Uh, and so if you're um, giving advice, you should say, well, you know, I want to do the best I can to know know God's word and be equipped to do so. And there's many means about going about doing that. One of them is the, the route I'm taking is through the Association of Certified uh, Biblical Counselors, or ACBC. And uh, that's a, a great organization. They used to be called NANC, which was the National Association of Nuthetic Christian Counseling. Uh, but they changed that name uh, a little over a decade ago. And look, I think that um, Christians should definitely strongly consider certification, but every Christian should know they are a counselor. They are someone who's called to disciple. And that's a very important distinction. Yes. I, I have to ask you this question because I, I know that uh, mental illness is something that is mm. top of mind for a lot of people in our culture. We we mm. see, you know, ever since COVID, we, we've seen a, just a spike in uh, what we've called, um, I guess, mental illness uh, cases or, or depression, severe depression, a lot of different things. And uh, I, I want to talk a little bit about more serious illnesses like schizophrenia, psychosis, or even maybe just depression in general bipolar. Mm. Uh, is biblical counseling appropriate in those situations? And as a follow-up, I really uh, talking about the medications, how does biblical counseling address uh, those kind of medications? That is a great question. And there have been some really excellent books written on this topic. One of them I'm actually holding in my hand and it's, I know your viewers can't see it, but I'll, I'll read the title. It's called The Christian's Guide to Psychological Terms. It's a second edition by Marshall and Mary Asher. And um, in it, it's just really neat. So like um, you can have like a title of um, a disorder that's mentioned, like schizophrenia, one of the ones you just mentioned. And it'll give you a definition according to um, the, you know, the DSM-5 or uh, this this definition here is from the Essential Psychopathology and its Treatment by uh, Gerald Maxman and Nicholas Ward. But it gives you this big definition. And then on one side, it gives you the psychological description of that disorder. And on the other side, it gives the biblical description. And this is an excellent resource that ACBC encourages uh, to people but for example, you mentioned schizophrenia. It'll, it'll say this in the psychological description. Well, virtually all schizophrenics have either hallucinations or delusions. Examples of hallucinations, that could be hearing imaginary voices or seeing imaginary threatening images. And uh, the biblical description of response to that is, well, if heavily medicated, asking the attending physician to reduce the dose enough to enable him to think clearly during counseling could be important. 
Um, not only that, schizophrenia is an exaggerated response to fear, guilt, and hopelessness. And it goes on actually a lot here about the gospel and explaining that. But um, you, every single one of the ones you just mentioned, this book has responses to that. So if you're someone who you're like, man, how do I think of depression in a biblical way? It deals with that. Uh, Tourette's or you know, I could go through a bunch of these oppositional defiant disorder, inferiority complex. I'm just <laughs> cannabis withdrawal. <laughs> That's just one I turn to uh, collective unconsciousness, conversion disorder. I mean, all these different things, uh, dependent personality disorder. And so, you know, the, all these ideas came up uh, in these terms came out of this, you know, the secular psychology world and they have worldview implications behind them. And some of them, they might have some medical connection to them, but some of them actually have no medical proof whatsoever, uh, no scientific proof whatsoever, but they're touted that way. They're medicated that way. And so one thing I do want to make very crystal clear at the get-go, I'm not an MD, a medical doctor. I'm not a physician. I'm not going to tell someone cold turkey, hey, that doctor said, get out. you're on these meds. You got to get off those, man. Like, I'm not going to do that to somebody because if they become somewhat dependent on that medication, that could actually cause disaster. And I would not want to do that. Um, I would encourage them to say, you know, hey, if you if this is something you could get off of, talk to your physician about it. And, it may, and maybe I wouldn't even go so far to say that, um, to say, you know, get off it. It just depends on the situation, I guess I would say. Um, but kind of like what he said in the schizophrenia example there. But really, biblical counselors were not anti-science, not even anti-medicine by any means, um, there are ACBC fellows who are certified MDs who are much greater experts on this than I. And if you actually go through the certification training, there are a number of sessions that address with how to handle these specific instances. And, you know, um, we don't want someone who's going to be uh, coming to counseling who, who obviously can't be coherent because of their medication. That's obviously not good. Uh, but this is the reality of the world we live in that some people, they really wrestle with this. And whether they've had something physical happen to them, that's really permanently damage them in a, in a way, you know, that's, that's a result of the fall. That's really sad. And we got to be patient with and counsel best we can. Um, but you know, with, with that, you know, we have a responsibility to tell people the truth and we want to be careful to not encourage any kind of psychotropic medication, anything that's going to lead them down that path, especially in dealing with things like depression. One of the ones you mentioned, yeah. because depression, uh, in the, in the scriptures, it's called being downcast. And we see David in Psalm 42 and 43, you know, actually in, in a lot of ways, speaking to himself, he says, why are you downcast? Oh, my soul. Why are you at turmoil within me? Hope in God. And in, 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 in many ways in that passage, you see how he's responding to those moments of depression and what, what the, or what the culture would call depression. And so is it real? Yeah, that, that stuff's real. But we, we got to make sure our response is in line with God's word. And there are answers for these things. There's many really good books out there I can send to you guys as well that you could recommend in the show links that deal with this exact topic. And even um, to some degree, I want to share this. I didn't plan on sharing this, but it came to my mind. There's a book by a guy named Alan Francis, and I can see it over my shelf over there. It's called Saving Normal. And mm -hmm. Alan Francis is a medical doctor, and he was on the board uh, to create what's called the dsm 4 which is the Diagnostic and Statistic Manual, and it's for disorders, and it was the fourth edition. And when the fifth edition came out, he, he saw it and was really stunned by it. And one thing you'll notice is it gives hundreds of different abnormalities 
in in the book. Like a, it'll lay out essentially it's the, it's the Bible for uh, psychologists, and it'll say, okay, this disorder here's this kind of abnormality goes through each one. But you know what it doesn't do, which is really stunning. It doesn't give a definition of what normal is throughout the whole book. There's no definition of normal. There's only abnormal. So in other words, what's kind of assumed, what's presupposed there? Well, everyone's got an abnormality and there's really no normal. And it's really interesting when you really dive into some of this literature, especially this guy who used to be on the board for this stuff, who's like, well, this is not good. Um, I think it's an important topic and one which a lot of biblical counselors are really um, writing great literature on to help address it. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, you know, at least from my perspective, when I was in that sort of the secular psychology world, you you really think nobody is normal. You know, you're around all these abnormalities all the time and, and you know, you can forget what normal is like in some cases, at least when you're dealing with with clients. Um, which is which is one of the reasons that I'm such a big advocate of, of biblical counseling now, uh, because, you know, again, it takes the biblical perspective on normal, abnormal, all these different things um, and, and helps us to to get our bearings and to understand uh, what God defines as normal. So that's mm. really important. But um, I think a lot of people have the perspective that um, biblical counseling is just like, take two Bible verses and call me in the morning. But it really is. Right. It does, you know, it does have the wherewithal to to deal with these much larger problems that, um, you know, that we might think biblical counseling can't deal with. And some of those mental illnesses that we were just talking about are some of those things. But another, another issue, uh, you know, we've heard evangelicals at the forefront of the sexual abuse issue that have decried biblical counseling and saying that abuse victims need, uh, quote unquote, trauma-informed counselors instead of biblical counselors. So would you say they're right or wrong? And and how and can you also explain how a so-called trauma-informed counselor would counsel an abuse victim versus how a biblical counselor would counsel an abuse victim? Yeah, so that's a great question and an important topic in our time. And look, any kind of sexual abuse is obviously wicked and wrong. And that just has to be known at the forefront. And what is happening when someone is being sexually abused, I would agree, is traumatic. It's absolutely evil, and it is affecting them in more ways than one. And so there's there's no denying the, the sinfulness and the deeply evil effects that it has. But when we get into this idea of trauma and how it's, we would say, maybe evolved over time. And, you know, it's kind of like when I told you a moment ago, you know, we had to be specific in our terms about biblical counselor versus Christian counselor. Not, neither of those sound wrong, do they? But what is meant by it is what's really important and to think about. And so there's a couple of um, really interesting books and articles that I, I'm going to mention right now and reference and kind of look at a few quotes to kind of lay this out for you. But there is a brand new article that came out with the Journal of Biblical Counseling. And I want to encourage if any of your readers uh, are very into or have questions about or know someone into this idea of trauma-informed counseling, there's a new critical evaluation of the book, The Body Keeps the Score, which is by Bessel van der Kolk. And he, this is a Dutch psychiatrist who, in 1987, argued that psychological trauma affects the entire human organism, body, mind, and brain. And 
in this bestseller, this hypothesis that came out, this, by the way, this book came out in, I got the year here, um, yet, well, that's 1978. I'm looking at the wrong thing. I'm sorry. Um, but this book came out recently, oh, 2015. There it is. It came out in 2015. The Body Keeps a Score, Brain, Mind, and Body in the Healing of Trauma. And listen to what he what is said here. This is the same hypothesis. The memory of trauma is encoded in the viscera, in heartbreaking and gut-wrenching emotions, in autoimmune disorders, in skeletal and muscular problems. And they're bringing together these branches of neuroscience, developmental psychopathology, and interpersonal neurobiology. And But this is still a hypothesis as this our article by Francine Tan argues. And I just want to, we'll give a link for that. But this trauma-informed approach is, it's really dangerous in a number of ways because what it can do is it actually makes the traumatic experience that person go through a part of their identity and keeping it as a part of their identity versus getting victory over it. Because yes, trauma impacts us. Like I said, I'm not denying that that happens. But uh, John Babbler, he is a, He's a professor at Mid-America Baptist Theological Seminary and did a really great podcast with Biblically Informed Trauma Care is what it was called. And he deals with crisis situations like uh, I think he works with the fire department and um, things like 9-11, things that people went through that were really significant and helping with it from a biblical counseling perspective, help those people work through deeply traumatic events. But what happens there is in, in the midst of all that, the danger of this trauma approach is they say, well, I am my trauma. Like I am always an abused person. That's all I will ever be, you know? And, and they, they make that the center of who they are and that these lingering effects that can take place in their lives. Um, you know, there, there is traumatic things that happen in scripture to people, horrible things that happen in scripture to people. And we can see how those kind of people are ministered to or responded to, or at least how God views that situation. Um, I, I immediately think of, um, the, the sadness of Mary and Martha losing their brother Lazarus and all these people are weeping and mourning. You know, it's, it's, it's hard losing someone you love. It's deeply hard to know that, Hey, maybe I didn't get to say goodbye. They're gone. It's, it's horrible. And, and what Jesus didn't just respond stoically and, and saying the truth in love. The, the, the text says that he wept and this word for weep, weeping that was used was not this quiet weeping, a, a tear going down his cheek. It was like a loud weeping. And the response of the crowd was, see how he loved him. So, so Jesus looks at the sorrow of Mary and Martha and those around, and he has compassion. And so we should have compassion on those who have been through very traumatic and difficult events in their life, but they can't make it part of their identity. Uh, as we as we look at um, one of the things that John Babbler says here in this article, he says, uh, when you begin to study this area, you see that a lot of people have put a lot of focus and energy, time and money into understanding trauma and how to address and deal with their many, many ways that the world says that it is important or vital for them to respond. So he says many chaplains, military folks and others would say that you have to have trauma informed care. They wouldn't refer anyone uh, to any person at all, unless they were trauma informed. So as biblical counselors, we have to approach this thinking, okay, I don't need to be intimidated by the world's wisdom. I like, I don't need to be intimidated by that kind of emphasis on that material. Um, Because I have the scriptures. We have to always bring it back to the sufficiency of scripture for the abused, 
for those who go through difficult uh, events in their life, that we can minister to people in, in ways that, that they can't even begin to comprehend or imagine. Because God is the one who provides healing. God provides hope. And we're giving this we're given this opportunity to do so. And so we can be competent to do so. Scripture makes us competent. And when we when we think about it, um, what people do when they find their identity in their trauma is they're finding identity in a sinful act and in sin versus finding their identity in Christ. And maybe someone who's listening to this podcast right now who's been through something traumatic, you hear me say that, and maybe that doesn't hit right with you. Well, it could be in a, a number of ways. You're you're focusing too much on your trauma, or maybe maybe this. Maybe in the past you haven't dealt with what you went through that was traumatic. You haven't dealt with it rightly. Well, God has resources in His Word that can bring healing to your heart and to your soul. It doesn't mean that scars won't be there, right? In the sense of the pain that you felt, but true, genuine healing can take place. And there are varieties of testimonies of people I know who God has worked in their life because they began to find their identity in God because God helped them. God rescued them. And that's who God is. He's someone who rescues those who've been through something traumatic like that. And so how, how should a biblical counselor counsel an abuse victim? They should definitely start by listening. I think that's important. Um, the Bible says he is a fool who gives an answer before he hears. You know, I don't want to come into a situation and think, oh, I know how this situation goes. I've dealt with, maybe you've dealt with many people who've been abused. You're like, oh, or maybe you've been abused yourself and you're a biblical counselor and you think, I'm just going to say whatever I know it needs to be said. Well, actually, it's, it's good to listen, to gather data and to make sure that you're interpreting the situation rightly. And then after some time of listening, maybe a whole session of listening or two, you you prepare responses to that person that are going to point them to the truth of God's word. They're going to help heal their soul and help them work through whatever it is they've gone through in a biblical way. Maybe in that process, you're, in hearing them, you discover they're not a believer or they are a believer. Well, then you know the solution right away. And for both of them, it's the gospel, of course, but the gospel and sanctification for the believer who's being tempted to find their identity in what's happened to them versus their identity in Christ. And I think it's an important route that we we got to take people to who've, who've been abused and really help them see the truth that they can they can be victorious in this way and and recognize that God is so powerful. He's so merciful and gracious and good and loving and that he can truly heal them. Amen, Travis. I am so encouraged by by what you're sharing with us about this. And and I've known so many personally uh through through, you know, prior churches and and other experiences, people who've been through trauma and and they can't let that go. They do make it part mm-hmm. of their identity and they don't find that victory in Christ you're talking about. They don't find forgiveness for the people who've harmed him who who may not even be alive anymore because it happened so long ago. And and it's so hard. Um and I know 10 or 15 years ago, uh, we saw a, a model in the evangelical church that looked a lot like the worldly psychology model that you talked about earlier. Um, but let's say a church does want to uh, approach uh, biblical counseling and they, they, they want to do it right. Can you share what things to look for in a, a solid Christian counseling uh, biblical program that churches might want to bring in? What are some of those hallmarks that we should be looking for? Yeah, absolutely. So one, uh, just right at the get-go, the Bible. 
the yes. God's word. If, if you look at that church and the pastor's preaching through the word of God and he takes that seriously. And, you know, even as you get on the website, what do they believe? You know, those are the kind of things that you want to look at even in a church, but for a church and biblical counseling, yeah, the, the word of God being central, not just for good sound doctrine, what we call orthodoxy, but also for orthopraxy, that the things that we do as a church and practice that it's evident that the word is shaping those things. And so, yeah, for biblical counseling training, that's that's what you need to, to look for in a church. Now, specifically, there are a number of churches around the nation. And uh, Amy, what do you want me to get into here? Like how someone might become certified through like ACBC or an organization like that? Yeah, let, let's talk yeah. about that because certification uh, is is a, an important key element of this. And and I, I'd love to hear about that. Yeah, so... Uh, ACBC, you know, they they have th- what they call three phases of certification. Uh, phase one, I'll give you the titles of them. The phase one is the learning. Phase two is exams and evaluations. And phase three is supervision. And really, essentially, when it when it comes down to it, the the learning phase is going to be thirty hours of training. Which that one example of that could be you could watch videos online that you pay for online to watch that they provide at biblicalcounseling.com or They'll do what's called a counseling and discipleship training at a local church or a seminary or somewhere. And you can look that up on their website under their events tab. We've done it here at Woodlawn Baptist. Uh, we did it a couple years ago, and they, they do it all around the country. And so it shouldn't be too hard to find one of those. And what they do is it's, you're like 30 hours. How am I going to knock that out in a conference? Well, it's actually split over three months. So they'll take a Friday night and a Saturday all day. And for one month and then the very next month, do the same thing. And the next month after that. So it gets you to 30 hours, 10 hours over each weekend. And that counts as your training. But then also you can get you can buy these DVDs to do counseling observation and they show a counselor over a specific topic. It might be dealing with marriage or someone who's struggling with the meaning of life. And how how do you guide someone through that? Or uh, it might be someone who might be struggling with pornography or someone who might be struggling with abuse. And they have these counseling videos that help people deal with their problems. And you get to observe them. You record that 10 hours of that. But then they also ask you to do 1000 pages of biblical counseling and theological reading. And they have a reading list. It's an approved list of great books that um, encourage you in this process and equip you uh, for uh, certification. And then phase two is two, two different exams. And it's a theology exam and counseling exam. They're like open book, open note, uh, essay style questions. And when when you and I might think exam, we might think, okay, I got to take this in one sitting, right? That is the professor hit the clock and I'm going to get a grade. And that's not exactly how it works in this sense. Um, actually, you have up to four years to finish these exams. And if it's open, it's open book, open notes. It's also, you could say within that time frame, open time, you can pick it up and start whenever you'd like. And that's the phase I'm in. I've actually finished the theological exam. I've turned it in. I'm in the middle of editing my counseling exam, making sure all that's together. And it's essentially 44 questions, I believe, total. And you turn that in and they'll grade that and make sure you're good to go. Then you hit the supervision phase. And that's about 50 sessions of counseling that you are, are supervised in. And that essentially is they have ACBC fellows, what they call, and you pay to have them observe your sessions and supervise them. Now they may not be there live while you're there, but you would find a way to record them. They would listen to that and give you suggestions uh, for the next time. And they're really in a sense like coaching you Mm -hmm. to um, minister to these people you're ministering to. And it's a great way, especially if you're not a pastor or if you're a lady 
wanting to be connected to the life of the church, to help in the life of the church, minister to people, to to get this intentional training. And yes, it does come from outside the church, but nevertheless, it's going to greatly benefit the health of your church, uh, being supervised, we might say discipled in this way, to effectively minister to people. And it's it's a great certification process. There's benefits to it as well. And um, yeah, that's what I would encourage, ACBC. Yeah, it sounds like it's a really good um, in-depth program. About how long would you say it takes overall and about how much does it cost ballpark? Yeah, so um, obviously if you do the conference, that's going to, the the counseling discipleship training, that's going to cost you some money. Uh, depends on when you register to uh, for that. If you're doing like an early bird registration, it's often around like $100. Uh, but then you have the books. So you got to consider book costs and depending on the books you buy <laughs> as well, some are thick books. And some are small books. So, you know, that's going to be kind of a rough, I wouldn't be able to give an estimate there, but there's, you know, a thousand pages of reading. So if you get a systematic theology that already has like 600 pages in it, and then a bunch of small books, you're looking at maybe $100 to $150 maybe uh, to get through the books, the reading. And then you have to purchase the 10 hours of observation videos um, and different websites could offer that as well. You have uh, IBCD and then ACBC, those two websites uh, offer or ministries, they offer, uh, counseling videos. You can listen, uh, and observe at, and then obviously the exam part's free. You're not, you don't have to really pay for that. Um, but you turn it in and then phase three though, that's where kind of your, I would say your most expense comes in and you're paying, I think roughly, uh, it's like $15 a session. And that's not like a flat rate. I think it's like different ACBC fellows might have different charges. Uh, cause these are maybe pastors or biblical counselors all across the nation who are, you know, taking time out of their schedules that they do with counseling or pastoral ministry, or maybe it's a stay-at-home mom who's an ACBC fellow. I'm not sure, but you know, whatever they're doing, uh, they're they're working in such a way to equip uh, biblical counselors, and so in in that kind of sense, you're kind of paying them per session. I think roughly fifteen dollars a session, which after it's required fifty sessions, we're talking nearly seven hundred dollars. I guess that that's over a year. Yeah. You know, Travis, you've recommended so many great books uh, so far, and our, our show notes are going to be uh, chock full today of those recommendations and links. Uh, do you have any other uh, resources that you'd like to pass along to our listeners, maybe uh, websites, social media accounts that uh, you would recommend for maybe anybody who's interested in learning more about biblical counseling? Yes, absolutely. So um, I would recommend following uh, Dale Johnson, he's the executive director of ACBC, or Heath Lambert. He's the former executive director, but the pastor of First Baptist Jacksonville. Um, you know, I don't want to toot my own horn, but you could follow my stuff on social media. I, I, since I'm working on this, this is something I have a passion about as well. Um, but also, there are guys like Stuart Scott, um, really uh, the Masters University, like and John MacArthur and those guys out there. They have they they do ACBC type stuff out there, biblical counseling type of approach. Uh, so those are like different kinds of people you could follow. And there's a lot more on that list. Uh, there's a, a friend of mine from California. I can't say his last name, but his first name's Eki, I think. Eki. Oh, yes. Um, Eki Teps of Orange Eye. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, he's, a, he's a great brother. I love that guy. I saw him at the G3 conference. And uh, um, G3, follow G3 Ministries. They promote biblical counseling. Um, so those are, those are some great ministries uh, to support and to learn more about. Uh, for sure. So books, I, just, I would recommend a few books, especially some really uh, ex- exceedingly practical books. If you're like, man, you know, I, I'm into the biblical counseling thing, but what are what are some really practical books I can give? Well, there's a couple books here by Wayne Mack in their homework manuals for biblical living. 
the first volume is like personal and interpersonal problems. And the second volume is family and marital problems. And it gives this really great practical homework. And it's just pages of pages of scripture all throughout that it's recommending and, and really practical steps to apply those scriptures. So definitely encourage those. And there's one book that I've just been really loving lately as I've worked with people in biblical counseling. And it's a book by Jay Adams called From Forgiven to Forgiving. And I think we would all recognize as believers the importance of forgiveness as it relates to the gospel, right? I can't come to God unless I've been forgiven. And I'm asking God for forgiveness. I need I need to be saved. My sins need to be uh, washed. My debt needs to be paid. And forgiveness is vitally important, but it's even beyond that, applying that in life. And we think of the parable of the unforgiving servant. What happens with that man? He in, in this parable, he owed a massive debt he could never pay in his lifetime, and he begs, and the king shows him mercy. And then he finds a guy who owes him like three months' wages, and he grabs him by the throat, choking him, and saying, pay what you owe. And the guy begs him, just like he did, and he still throws him in prison, shows him no mercy. And the master hears about it, takes the guy back, and throws him in prison until he pays the very last penny. And then what does Jesus say at the end of that parable? So will my heavenly father do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Mm. And I just think it's so important for Christians to understand the necessity of forgiveness. And this book, From Forgiven to Forgiving, uh, it, it actually does an incredible job dismantling false views of forgiveness that many in the church have adopted. So, for example, on the back, he names about five of them. He says, you know, maybe you've heard these things before. Just forgive and forget. Yeah. Or you should apologize when you mess up or if you forgive, you will feel better or don't wait until you are asked before you forgive and forgive only when you are sure the offender is sincere. He says, if you think any of these statements are good advice, you need to read this book. (laughs) So understanding what the Bible teaches about forgiveness between those who have been forgiven much is essential to God honoring relationships. And so I found this book incredibly helpful um, in helping people process what biblical forgiveness really is. Uh, um, this is one that comes from uh, kind of the, the younger generation who, uh, especially young women who talk about anxiety, that uh, mm. they, they need something to help them with their anxiety. And, and some people turn to, uh, you know, medications to calm them down. Uh, other people just are looking for some good resources. Um, what do you say with people who struggle with anxiety, whether they're Christian or not? It's just that that physical feeling that you're falling or you're just worried about everything. Um because the times that we live in are, they're getting darker, obviously. Uh, the yeah. world knows it. We, of course, as Christians know it, you know, and, and it's easy for us to say, well, cast your cares upon the Lord, be anxious for nothing. And when you mentioned John MacArthur, that's what made me think of it because I read his book, Anxious for, for Nothing, and it was, it was excellent. Book. But what do you say to somebody who might come in and say, help me with my anxiety, Travis? You know, I, I definitely want to listen to what are those things that are making them anxious, you know? Um, some of those things might be like, in a, in a sense, legit things that like, wow, I, I should be concerned about them. And notice right. I didn't use the word worry, but concern, you know, we should have godly care. I mean, Paul, the apostle talks about, he says, he uses this word of the anxieties of the churches that lay upon me in second Corinthians chapter 11. So he's in a sense, he has this godly concern for all the churches that he's praying for. And I think there's a sense where that that's okay um, in that sense. But the, even the way you kind of framed it in the way that people might come in, uh, oh, I, you know, I'm really struggling with anxiety, and they they speak of it as if it's a disease, 
And, and what I mean is that I gotta, I gotta take medicine for this anxiety I have. It's almost like, well, I gotta take medicine for this headache I have. You know, they're, they're, they, they're treating it according to like a disease model or I, I, I have anxiety. Notice not, I, I struggle with being anxious, but I have it. I mean, there's a big difference there. Uh, they're making it so much part of their, their makeup and who they are. Um, you know, if I, like, if, if I had a specific medical issue, it's in, in, this kind of goes back to the trauma thing as well to some degree, but am I making that thing my identity? Mm-hmm. And if I have it, you know, it's, it really is like a disease model. Oh no, I've caught this. I have it. Oh, there's no way out. I'm just kind of hopeless and stuck here. The, 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 the truth is you're not. And it really does start in faith. And, and sometimes that is a major challenge for somebody. And there could be a couple reasons for that. Number one, they could be uh, people who think they're believers and not. And so they, they don't understand by faith how they can overcome this. And they just got good Christianese because they're, you know, a typical cultural Christian. You know, and you need to kind of dig deeper on that person. Hey, do, have you really truly trusted in Christ? You know, do you really believe in him? Uh, those are important things. And I, I wouldn't get right at that right away. I mean, I would want to know, but, um, you know, there's a process of listening to them in there as well. But um, for the believer, you know, I might just try to really ask some pressing questions. And I actually would also go through that book that you just mentioned by John MacArthur, Anxious for Nothing. Um, actually, right after COVID and that kind of whole time after that and the way things went with the election and all these kind of things. I remember I met with a number of people who were struggling with anxiety and I, I think in one year I walked through MacArthur's book with people and, and the scriptures, of course, because he, I mean, that, that book is essentially uh, sermons. I think he did on anxiety. And so they put it in a book form. And so we're walking through all these passages of scripture together. And it was just a, a beautiful time to see the, a lot of these people overcome that. But it, look, it's it being anxious is a sin. Worry is a sin. It's not a disease. And we all sin. And we all fall short of the glory of God. None of us are perfect. Um, I, I think of Paul wrestling with his own sin in Romans 7. He says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And he says, thanks be to God. You know, and, he, and, he, and he blesses God because he sent Christ. And he goes to Romans 8.1. And in Romans 8.1, he talks about how he doesn't have condemnation because he's in Christ. And then he goes on and talks about the spirit and the role of the spirit of God within us. If you study the book of Romans, the the Holy Spirit is barely mentioned from Romans one to seven, and then Romans eight he's mentioned twenty two times, and and there's a big shift in the text there, and I think it's important because you see salvation's explained and sanctification is explained there in uh, six and seven, and then in eight he talks about well if your mind is set on the flesh it's death, but if your mind is set on the spirit it's life and peace, and what do anxious people want? They want peace. They don't want their life to be hung up by these feelings of anxiety or these the, the sin of anxiety, really. And so how can they have life and peace with their mind needs to be set on the spirit? And that's only going to happen through the gospel, through what Christ has done, and not just thinking of it in a spiritual, ethereal sense, like, okay, everything's going to get better when I go to heaven. You know, um, yes, it will. But nevertheless, there is application to your life today that if God cares for the sparrows, he's going to care for you. And, and I think we just need to remember that truth that, that God is near to us. He's, he's made promises to never leave us or forsake us. And when I believe those promises by faith, recognizing, we would say, maybe even the attributes of God, he's, he's all-knowing. He's everywhere present. He's all-powerful. He's all-loving. Well, then, can anything that comes my way 
really, even if it tempts me to be filled with worry and anxiety, can that really be a bad thing for me to be, we would say, thrown to the, to, to the feet of Christ and say, help me, God, I need your help. I'm, I'm scared right now. I'm worried. I'm, I'm filled with fear, but I know you alone are to be feared. Help me to fear you in your name alone. And it, it drives us to prayer. That's how our approach should be. I mean, we're, we're weak people. We're dependent upon God. I remember one, at one point in my life, I was, uh, I was actually in line. Uh, I don't know if I've shared the story publicly before, maybe in a sermon, but, um, you know, I was in line at seminary, uh, at Southwestern seminary and Dale Johnson was there, just a professor. He's the executive director for ACBC. And I remember just like really just struggling and, uh, with just, you know, pride and anger and just, um, and what else? I mean, just, I was just, you know, a young newlywed and I wasn't just doing well. I feel like as a, as a husband. And I, I, I look at Dr. Johnson and I say, Dr. Johnson, uh, is it, is it weird to feel like I always need help? <laughs> he kind of chuckled. He said, actually, no, that's how you should always feel. <laughs> I said, okay, good. Um, thanks. You know, and, uh, it was really funny, but he actually very kindly said, oh, I'd love to meet with you and your wife. And it was such a ministry to both of us. And we really overcame some struggles we were having in marriage and, and God did a great, great work in us. And so, um, look, I, you know, for someone who, when I was a new believer, I really struggled with beating myself up, self-condemnation, um, being angry at myself for failing or for sinning, you know, just really hard on myself. Biblical counseling, being driven to the scriptures, helped me to see the freedom I have in Christ which is really in large part why I went to Romans eight just now. It's just such a pivotal passage for me and saying, you know, God is good. And if I keep looking to him, everything's going to be all right. Mm-hmm. And um, it's true. I, as Charles Haddon Spurgeon once said, he said, um, when, when we can't trace the Lord's hand, we must trust his heart. And a lot of times we're going to go through things in life. Right. We don't understand what's going on, but we know God is for us. He loves us. And we're going to, he's going to see us through whatever we're facing. Amen. Amen. I think that's a great, a great note to start wrapping things up on. You know, this has been so great tonight and we really appreciate you coming and, and explaining all these things to us. And it's been so much great and helpful information uh, for our listeners and I think they're they're really going to um, you know find this helpful. Uh, but as we wrap things up, is there anything else that you'd like to share with our listeners about biblical counseling, or maybe why they should become biblical counselors? You know, given the day and age we live in, um, discipleship within the church is so important. So I would just say, real briefly, um, you know, if you if this is something you're passionate about making disciples, I think one of the best ways you can become most effective at it is to be in God's Word and to be, work through certification to become a biblical counselor. I'll, I'll close with this passage of scripture. It's from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and it says this in verse 14, And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. There's idle people, faint-hearted people, and weak people within our churches, and they, they need us to be patient with them and to love them and to build them up and encourage them and help them. And so, look, it's it's one of the most important things, I think, to the life of the church is that we are a church that admonishes each other. Uh, I've, I've been reading for a class, um, a book by Balthazar Hubmeyer, and he's a reformer. And he says, where there is no fraternal admonition, you know, brotherly correction, there is no church. You know, there's no, um, there, there's no church discipline. There's no church. 
Uh, and I think it's a really interesting claim. And I think one he backs up well with scripture. And I think as a biblical counselor, you can play a part in helping church members be healthy, to be filled with sound doctrine and practice. And so if that's you, I want to urge you, uh, if you're discipleship minded, become a biblical counselor. It's, you'll, you won't regret it. Excellent. And Travis, I know that uh, many of our listeners will probably want to know how to connect with you. And, and we're going to put uh, your links in our show notes, but where uh, can you just tell us where our listeners can find you online? Yeah. So um, I have a website, travismcneely.com. Um, on X or Twitter, I am, you know, my handle is at Travis McNeely. And I have a YouTube channel as well by the same name. And so, yeah, you could find me in those locations. And um, I have content on various things. And also, if you want to reach out to me, I'll, I'm not always on there just because I'm busy with PhD and stuff, but uh, I will hopefully uh, respond and would, would love to connect with anyone if they have any questions. Yeah, thank you. Well, Travis, thank you so much for being with us today. I know this has been really helpful to me, and I, I know it's been helpful to our listeners as well. Yes, thank you. Been helpful to me as well. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for having me on, and y'all have a great day. You too, Travis. Thank you. Well, listeners, what did you think? How could biblical counseling become a holy habit in your life this year? Would you consider becoming a biblical counselor? Or maybe you're already a biblical counselor. Would you recommend it to other people? Have you ever been counseled by a biblical counselor yourself? What was your experience like? We want to hear from you on social media, and you can find direct links to our Facebook, uh, X, and Instagram pages uh, on our website, a awordfitlyspoken.life. And uh, while you're over there, be sure to check out all our other resources that we have. Uh, we've got a, a gospel presentation that you can share with your unsaved loved ones at our Good News tab, and you can find our Statement of Faith at the Beliefs tab. You can also learn how to contribute to a word fitly spoken financially at our support tab. That's right. And we'd also like to send out big, big, big thank yous to Amanda, Catherine, and Lisa, who became new patrons on Patreon, and also Mary and Rhonda, who donated via PayPal. From the bottom of our hearts, ladies, thank you all so much. We could not do a word fitly spoken without you. And until next time, remember that the Bible is our ultimate source of counsel and walk worthy.